Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter and we're getting close to the end. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about how to prepare the church for the Lord's return. I know many of us have heard this poem at some point in our lives, or at least a portion of it. It goes like this, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes of better pupil and more willing than the ear find counsel as confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers and the ones who live their creed are the ones who live their creed. For to see good put into action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue is too fast it may run. And the sermon you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. That is so true. You know, we learn by example. We learn by seeing others. And then, you know, when it comes to our parents, our grandparents and others, modeling the the way to do things, watching how they do things, we learn by examples. And we've learned so far in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, Peter pointed to Jesus as the example. He said in 1 Peter 2, 20, For what credit is there if when you do wrong and you're beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. In other words, if you do wrong and you get in trouble, you got what you deserve. But if you're doing what's right and you still uh, suffer for it, that brings favor with God. And then he says, For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. And truly, we are. If you read the, the book of First Peter in one sitting, you'll find out that Peter is writing to believers that are scattered and they're being persecuted. And they're suffering because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter wants them to know, you are not alone. And he wants to remind us that Jesus has modeled how to handle that. And so we are to follow in His steps and follow His example. Albert Schweitzer said it best. He said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. And I agree with that. Today we're in 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to look, about, we're going to look at the power of example because look at what Peter does. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 verse 1, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. And then he goes on. Now, first of all, let's make sure we understand who Peter is talking to. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. What is an elder? Well, in this text here, he's not talking about age. He's not talking about those who are older. He is referring to a leadership office in the Bible. Uh, Don't have time to go through a whole bunch, but I'll give you a little nugget here. 
You know, usually when you think of elder, you don't think of Baptist, but it's in the Bible. And when you look at Baptist history, uh, there is an interesting uh, uh, tidbit of uh, truth here from Sandy Creek Baptist Association in Sanford, North Carolina. Back in 1829, their association passed a resolution. Here's what it said. Resolved that we as a body will discontinue and recommend to the churches and preachers discontinue the title of reverend prefixed to a minister's name and substitute as a more scriptural appellation the title of elder. And so in other words, they drafted a resolution in their association and said, churches, preachers, we're not calling y'all reverend. Okay? Not calling you reverend. We're going to call you elder. It's more biblical. And so... Here we learn in Scripture that these terms elder, bishop, overseer, pastor, shepherd, they're all used interchangeably. Now why am I pointing all this out to you? Because when you read 1 Peter 5, if you don't realize that when he says, I exhort to the elders among you, if you don't realize he's talking about a leadership office in the church, then you think he's talking to the senior adults. And he is clearly not. Uh, Let's read this passage again. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. Who's Who's he saying that to? The elders. So they are elders and they are called to shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. Right there in verses 1 and 2, we have it all together to make sense. The elders shepherd God's flock, and they are overseers. And so, that is what Peter is saying. Now, let me give you an example here. Paul does the same thing. In Acts chapter 20, Paul meets with the elders from Ephesus. And in in Acts 20 verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. Then you skip on down to verse 28 in Acts 20, and he tells this same group, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he's talking to men who are elders that are overseers that are called to shepherd the church. And so you see those terms used interchangeably. Uh, Peter uses it interchangeably in chapter 5 as well. I like what uh, Adrian Rogers uh, said. He says, Elder speaks of maturity that exceeds the flock. Shepherd speaks of ministry that feeds the flock. And bishop speaks of management that leads the flock. So what would be a biblical definition of an elder? Someone who's an example to others, a teacher of God's Word, a shepherd of the flock, and a leader of God's people. That is what an elder would be. And when you look at the New Testament pattern here, before we get into verses 1, 2, and 3, I want you to understand how this works. Uh, When we look at the New Testament, Luke, uh, Dr. Luke, Paul the Apostle, James the Lord's brother, and Peter the leader of the twelve, an apostle to the Jews, Uh, all of them say the same thing about this leadership office in the church, that it is a pattern of plurality. Look, if you will, I'm going to look at this very quickly. And for, for instance, Luke wrote in the book of Acts, Acts 14, 
verse 21. Uh, Luke is documenting the mission journey that Paul and his team went on. And he says in Acts 14, 21, after they had preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders, that's plural, for them in every church, that's singular, and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So you see a plurality there. In Acts 15, in the very next chapter, Acts 15, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. That was the dilemma. Did Gentile believers have to be circumcised like the Jews? And it says in verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And so the Jerusalem church had elders as well. That's what Luke tells us. What about Paul? Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. We know deacons plural, but notice the overseer is plural as well. Remember, overseer is another word for uh, bishop, uh, for elder, for pastor, for shepherd. Then in Titus, uh, Titus chapter 1, in Titus chapter 1, remember Paul wrote to a young man in ministry named Titus who was on the island of Crete. In Titus 1.5, uh, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone and as I directed you to appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular. And so there we see that Luke and Paul are all saying the same thing. What about James, the Lord's brother? He wrote one little letter, the book of James in the New Testament, five short chapters. And at the end of chapter 5, verse 14, here's what he says. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders, plural, of the church, singular, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And um, in the last church I served... I got a surprise one time. They, uh, uh, the pulpit had a little door, and I opened that door, and the first thing I saw was the anointing oil. And I went, oh, they've done James 5.14. And so there it is, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. What about Peter? We've just read Peter, chapter 5, uh, verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Now, I love Peter's humility, don't you? Here is Peter writing to the leaders of the church, and he doesn't, play, uh, he doesn't play a higher trump card, okay? He doesn't say, I'm an apostle and you are the elders. He doesn't say that. He says, I want to exhort the elders. And that word exhort literally means to come alongside, to encourage and challenge. He says, I want to come alongside you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. And then he gives them the charge. I love this. You know, um, back in the summer, the Lord led me to teach on biblical leadership, which is elders and deacons. And uh, been praying about it, been uh, dialoguing with the deacons about it. 
And soon in the near future, we'll have a group of men to study this issue more. And then we will talk about it more as a congregation. And so just wanted to share that with you. Now, Warren Wearsby gives us a really good quote to appreciate the context of what Peter is writing about here. He says, Times of persecution demand that God's people have adequate spiritual leadership. If judgment is to begin at God's house, and that's what it said in 1 Peter 4, 17, then that house had better be in order or it'll fall apart. And this explains why Peter writes this special message here in chapter 5 to the leaders of the church to encourage them to do their work faithfully. you got to think, this was one whole letter. We didn't get the chapter headings until many years later. And so we read this as a letter in context. So how to prepare the church for the Lord's return? Number one, exhort the elders. That means to come alongside, to encourage, and to challenge. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, okay, and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as also one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. And then he says, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, I can tell you what my conviction is as your, as your pastor. You know, we were going through a Sunday school today, and our Sunday school lesson was ironically in the book of James, and it was about obeying God's Word. And, you know, that's something that, that weighs on me because, you know, the Bible, you know, commands me to preach His Word, but also I want to watch my life and doctrine closely so that, uh, so that I, you know, not only uh, I'm saved, but my hearers are too. In other words, there's no contradiction between what I say and what I do. And here I'm reminded of a verse that God gave me many years ago that I have prayed to characterize my ministry. It's found in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. I'll read it in a couple of translations. The Christian standard says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, because we were shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, We've renounced secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the Word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. Now, I want to read that in the NIV because that's how I learned it many years ago when I, when I read it for the first time. It says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we've announced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in sight of God. I love that. What, what is true preaching? It's, it's, um, it is setting forth the truth of God uh, plainly and commending people in the sight of God and for the sake of their conscience to hear and obey the truth. And that's it. And that's what uh, I feel called to do in my pulpit ministry is to make the truth plain and say, this is what God says, this is what He wants us to do. Um, here, He exhorts the elders and He says, look, I want you to shepherd God's flock. Peter knew something about that, didn't he? I know he didn't tend sheep. He was a fisherman. But remember, he denied Jesus three times. 
And remember when Jesus restored him, he asked him not once, not twice, but three times, Peter, do you love me? And what was, uh, when Peter said yes, what did the Lord tell him? He said, you know, shepherd my people, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And so he was using that shepherd language. He was calling Peter to be a leader in the early church. And so he says, shepherd God's flock among you not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. Not because you have to, but because you want to, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Okay, um, I'm sure Danny feels this way too. When I began to uh, be in full-time ministry, I was like, wow, I get to do what I love to do. You know, you know I actually get supported to do this. So that's just, an, that's just a dream come true. And so not out of greed, but eagerly. Eager to serve. Why? Because you just want to serve. And then he says in verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. Peter's modeling that with humility. Here is Peter. Yes, he's the one that blew it. I mean, he denied Jesus three times, but he's also the apostle. He's the only one of the 12 that can say, I walked on water because I said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me and I'll come meet you. And he walked on water. And then Peter is the one out of all the guys. Peter is the one that stood up on the day of Pentecost, right? Full of boldness and the Holy Spirit and proclaimed the gospel. And 3,000 people in one moment got saved. And yet Peter, he simply says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And so he modeled humility. And then, as a result, he was an example to the flock. And remember when the disciples argued about who the greatest was? Well, now Peter is writing this, and that issue is settled. Who's the greatest? Jesus. Okay? And it's not even close. Jesus is the greatest. And that's why he says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears... These elders, these men that have been called to lead in the church, they're under shepherds, but there's one shepherd, true shepherd. He's the chief shepherd, and that is Jesus Christ. And when He appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And that is so awesome. Well, let's go to the next thing. How to prepare the church for the Lord's return. Exhort the elders, the spiritual leaders of the church. And number two, submit to godly leadership. Look, if you will, in verse 5. In the same way. Now, before I read the rest of that verse, where have we heard that before? If you go back earlier in the book of Peter, when he's talking about uh, husbands and wives, whenever he's talking about, uh, you know, um, um, slaves submitting to their masters, things like that, he will say, in the same way. So what he's about to say is predicated on what he just talked about in verses 1 through 4. He's talked about leadership. Now he's talking about followership. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And we'll stop there. So he says to exhort the elders and then to submit to godly leadership. One commentator said it this way, we've already observed that elders are admonished not to use their authority as dictator rulers, but to serve those under their charge. 
In the same way, those who are under leadership should be inclined to follow and submit to their leaders. They should not be resisting the initiatives of leaders and complaining about the direction of the church. It is a dance where leaders and followers work together. I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. It says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. I love that part, don't you? Like he's saying, okay, you know, have, have respect and, and, and honor for your leaders, those who are called to do the Lord's work. And then he says, and be at peace among yourselves. It's kind of like everybody's going on a trip with mom and dad, and then they tell the kids, y'all behave now, you hear? I'm reminded of Hebrews 13, 17, when he says it a little bit more pointed. He says, Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. Wow. You know, we've been going through um, the life of Moses on Wednesday nights and the Israelites, they start out by complaining about Moses and then they end up uh, complaining about God. And so they began to complain about leadership. They began to complain, God, why did you bring us out here? And what does God do? God begins to judge the complainers, and then God begins to honor those that He's put in authority. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 3. In 1 Corinthians 3, you had a divided church that was split four ways. Each one had their favorite leader. And Paul says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believe. And each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You know, here when you look at elders plural, in, in a church singular, you see team leadership. And when it comes to team leadership, they are called to lead together, work together, and serve together, and the congregation is called to follow. And the bottom line is, it's not this one or that one, it's God working through all of them, and God gets the work done through His people, and He's the one that gets all the glory. And so here, how to prepare the church for the Lord's return, we exhort the elders, the spiritual leaders, and we submit to godly leadership. And then the third and final one is be humble towards one another. He says, uh, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he says, all of you, okay? In other words, I'm not leaving anybody out. Yeah, I'm talking to the elders, and yeah, I'm talking to the younger, but now I'm talking to all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that is a quote from the Old Testament. It's also in, it's in Proverbs, I believe, but it's repeated also in the book of James to be humble to one another. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Now, I love the metaphor that Peter uses in this statement. He could have just said, 
be humble toward each other. And that would be a factual truth. That's what he's telling us to do, to be humble toward one another. But he inserted a metaphor to really paint a picture in our mind. Did you see it? He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves. You know, when I got to thinking about that, you know what that term reminds me of? It reminds me of the last meal that Jesus and His disciples had, the Passover. And they went to the upper room and they waited. And they waited and there was no servant there. There was no one there to wash their feet. It was simple hospitality. It's what you would do back in that day and time. And uh, what did they do? They did nothing. And then what did Jesus do? He clothed Himself. He girded Himself with an apron with a towel, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. It's a picture of what Jesus did in the upper room when he wrapped that towel and assumed the role of a servant and washed the disciples' feet. And now uh, here is Peter. He's talking to everybody, and he says, Listen, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. As someone said, the exhortation here is not to feel humble. It's not to pray to become humble but it's to actually do it, to put it into practice. And that's exactly what He's calling us to do. Why do we need to be humble? Because God resists the proud and He gives grace to the humble. Let me see if I can explain that to you. There's a story that you hear me cite from time to time in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18. A story that Jesus told, a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Here's the story that Jesus told. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One, the Fer- one a Pharisee, that's a religious person, and the other a tax collector, someone that nobody liked. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven. But he kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this one went down to the house justified, or went to his house justified, rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, when someone is proud, God opposes them. He resists them, and He says, you need to be humbled. But for those that are willing to humble themselves, He gives grace to them and exalts them in due season. You know, that's what the gospel is all about. Jesus, He humbled Himself. He came into this world. He dwelt among us. He lived a righteous, holy, sinless life. And then He died on that cross in your place, in mine. He died a criminal's death. He took upon Himself what you and I deserve. He rose again on the third day, proving that He is the Son of God and that He's greater than death, hell, and the grave. And now He's ascended to the Father, and we're waiting for His return.
And he says that whoever will come to him, trust and follow him, will be saved. Will you be willing to humble yourself today? Have you ever prayed that simple prayer that the uh, tax collector prayed? If there's ever, I've had conversations before with other pastors about this. If there's ever a sinner's prayer in the Bible, it's in this story in Luke 18. It's the simple prayer of the tax collector who says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you want to get proper and you talk to Bible scholars, they'll say in the Greek that it's literally, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Not a sinner, but the sinner. In other words, he's owning it. And so here's the the prayer that I want to encourage you today. If you've never received Christ in your life, if you've never realized, you know, I know that I need to be saved. I know I have sinned against God. I have, I have broken His law and I disobey His word. Is there any hope for me? Right now there is. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you and for me. And if you'll come to Him right now, there is time to be saved. Don't wait till it's too late. It starts with a simple prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, He's God. I'm not. Have mercy on me, the sinner. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Lord, I need Your mercy. Maybe today, if you've never prayed to receive Christ in your life, you just need to say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if that is the attitude of your heart, if, if, the, if, the, if the faith in your heart is that Jesus died for me and He rose again and, and now He's offering to save me if I'll just come to Him, if you will pray that prayer, there's nothing magical about it, but it expresses faith, it expresses the recognition, He's God, I'm not, I'm a sinner, and Lord, I need Your mercy. Maybe you need to ask Him today and trust and follow Him. I want to have you stand. Musicians, if you come, and ushers, if you'll stand on each side here. I want to remind you of the next steps. I want our invitation time to truly be a time that we respond to God. We don't just stand up, sing a couple verses, and go home, home and beat the Methodists to lunch, okay? Right now, maybe God is calling, maybe God is speaking to you, and I want to encourage you to take your next step. I want to tell you that these, these, uh, this, this altar is open. If you want to come down and pray, you do that, okay? If God is speaking to your heart, and you need me to pray with you, I would love to do that. Whatever God's leading you to do, but I want to encourage you this morning. If you're new to us, you'd like to know more about the church, check the box, give us a a little bit of information. I'd love to have a conversation with you. you. If you feel like the Lord is leading you to take your next step in your walk with Him, check that box, let me know, because I can have a conversation with you after this invitation. I can have a conversation with you whenever you want to have one. And we're going to pray here in a moment. We're going to sing and praise God. And we're going to bring our tithe and offering. And so this is our time to worship God. We've sang. We've heard the word of God. And now he's calling us to respond. And I want to encourage you to respond to him today. All right? Let's have prayer. Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you and praise you for this time. Lord, as we prepare to sing, as we prepare to bring, 
Father, I pray right now, God, that your will be done. Lord, we want to worship you. Lord, we want to remember what you've done on the cross for us. Lord, we want to remember what you've said in your word. And Father, I pray right now, oh God, that we will worship you as we pray, sing, and bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.